You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Jason Nitz of Warforged and Spent Case. There's this episode and over 440 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast or welcome back to the podcast if you've been here before. Either way, I super appreciate you. Thank you for spending your time with me. This is a really fun one. My dude, Brom, has a YouTube channel called Pedalscopic Sounds, and you can find that link in the description of this podcast. I highly suggest you check it out if you are interested at all in a completely different spin on the whole pedal demo thing. He has also created a couple American Cyclops videos for me, one for the song Purple Skies, which is up on YouTube and was released a few months ago, and one for the latest single, The Machines Are Us, which is not out yet, but will be dropping very, very soon on the Tone Mob YouTube channel. And I will put the direct link to that in these show notes when that is live. But as of the day this episode drops, it is not. But if you're listening to it sometime in the future, it might just be. Either way, you can slide over to the Tone Mob YouTube channel and check out those videos. You can also check out his work on his own channel, Pedalscopic Sounds. And I really, really hope you do. Okay, one quick thing, because I don't want anybody to say I didn't warn them before we jump into this episode. There is something really rad coming in February. In early February, there is a project that I think will probably, uh, I think it might blow up the pedal internet for a few days, if not a few weeks. It's pretty ridiculous, and I am involved in it, and I don't want anybody to be caught by surprise and uh, be mad at me. So what I'm going to say is, if you are a patron of the podcast, if you're signed up to the text chat, uh, you you people are going to know before anybody else. The next in line will be the mailing list. So if you're signed up to the Tone Mob newsletter, you will find out what this crazy thing is. And uh, then after that, it will be the general public. So I don't want to hype it up too much because it's, <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, but... It's a lot of fun. It's been a project in the works for over a year through several different iterations and a lot of uh, really cool folks helped make it a reality. And I, uh, I can't wait until it comes out into the world. So yeah, I hate to be so cryptic, but we've kept it under our hats this long. And I just want to make sure you have the opportunity to know about it first. So like I said, patrons are going to know very first. Then it'll go out to the text chat and then it'll go to the newsletter. So if any of those three things are an option for you, the text chat and the newsletter is obviously free. Patrons, I feel obligated to because they help support. So they get to know everything, everything that's time sensitive, they will know first. And uh, yeah, I just don't say I didn't warn you. That's all I'm saying. That's that's it. So I'm warning you here. I might warn you on another couple episodes because it is about a month away. But still, you've been warned. Okay, that's enough plugging. Let's get into this episode. Let's do it. Here we go. 
everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Rom Johnson from Pedalscopic Sounds and Tiger Mimic and probably some other stuff that I'm not aware of. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Blake. Thanks for having me. Dude, I'm stoked to do this. You've been uh, you've been doing some really cool things in the uh, gear demo world that n- nobody else is doing. And Thanks. you've done a couple of videos for me now that I mm-hmm. absolutely love. And it's like, wait a minute. Why doesn't he come on the podcast? We can I have so many questions for him. Why don't we why don't we <laughs> no, it's, come on it's, here and talk about it? It's really exciting, you know, because like uh I think I'm still coming around to the idea that I could be a real demo person. <laughs> oh geez, dude. I don't of course. Um, you already are. Well, it started off on such a like casual um you know, it was just something I wanted to do because I, as kind of a way of saying thanks to a builder. And then I was just like, oh, I'd like doing that. Maybe I'll do another. And it just kind of like, after the second one, somebody reached out to me and then I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this could actually go somewhere. So. Well, it's a, it's a combination of, it's a cool piece of art on its own. Like even if it had nothing to do with a pedal, it's a cool piece of art on its own, but then you also like break it down in a way that I've only seen a few other people do recently, coupled with you know the story and the art that's going on. Mm. That's what I think makes it unique because uh, I just had Megan Lippy on here, and she's oh, one of the ones awesome. that like, oh yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. she's one of the ones that's like breaking down the signal chains as the song's playing, mm-hmm. um, and you're doing that as well, and use oftentimes using that pedal on multiple different instruments and describing you know where it's at. Mm-hmm. But then it's just like, even if you just threw all that away and just threw it in the garbage, like, and just did the animation sequence for it, that would be mm-hmm. cool enough. So you're <laughs> you're doubling down on it. I, it's legit. I love it. Well, I think I um I kind of took into personal experience. Um, I took that into account. We'll do uh, coming up with the idea because um, I'm married, and she has sat there over and over and just seen me with my phone, you six inches from my face and hearing some little like guitar noodling come out of it and me watching demos. And, you know, she was always like, oh, why are you so stupid? You watch all, you know, she appreciates music. She's a musician, but like the the nerdiness and the obsession with it, she's <laughs> like, oh, how can you sit around watching these all day? And so I was kind of like, well, what could I do that like, you know, maybe would be fun for anybody who's like collateral damage <laughs> in the room <laughs> who has to watch the video, you know, maybe doesn't want to. And then also like, I'm not like the most comfortable on camera presence. So it felt like this is a good way to keep me off camera, (laughs) not have to worry about cameras and lighting and just kind of focus on, you know, ideally the pedal and then, you know, a little bit of something to stare at while it happens. Mm -hmm. Did you, I, I assume that you had some experience with animation beforehand, or is that a new thing that you've learned while you're doing this? Um, basically, uh, at the right when the pandemic started, my band was about to um, rec- uh, film a music video, and we had our like our first single. That was it was going to be our first single in like over a year, and we we're all excited about it. And this was around March, and then they announced the first lockdown, and so obviously we canceled all that. And so we were just sitting there with like two or three weeks to go until the single was coming out, with no backup plan for a music video. And right around that time, uh, my birthday's in April, um, and my wife got me just a drawing pad for a computer. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I had never used one of those before, but I've always liked to do kind of Photoshop-y things. Um, and so I was just like, well, animation is an old art. How you know complicated can it be? Uh, so I just kind of jumped in and did that. And hand, the first one was like a hand-drawn one, so it's very scribbly. And uh, um, it's for a song called uh, It Was Still Dark. And um, and then, it, you know, I had like less than a couple of weeks by the time I had made this decision. So I just kind of chained myself to my desk and forced myself to figure it out. So I think even over the course of that video, you can kind of watch my learning process. Because <laughs> like, you know, I had like when I was a kid, I had like extremely basic animation programs that I would play with for a little while and then, you know, give up on and stuff like that. But um, I never studied it or anything. It was just kind of. I just love animation. So I was like, how hard can it be? <laughs> it turns out it's a huge, it's a huge pain, but it's, uh, it's really fun too. I'm, I, you're obviously getting better at it though, because I mean, just this last video you did for me, you were like, I mean, that's, well, that one started, I mean, you've, you've already, you had already done one before mm-hmm. that had kind of a, a more set storyline. And so mm. that's on, that one's already published uh, for people who haven't seen it. It's called Purple Skies. It's on the Tone Mob YouTube channel. Um, but this one, I was very much like, I don't have a story for this at all. This is yeah. just whatever. And I think you actually got it done. I, maybe my memory is a little hazy, but even faster than the first one. Yeah. I think from, from the time you sent over the song to the first draft that I sent you was either a week or a week and a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it depends. You know, it's funny when I started that one out, I had, envisioned it being a little more abstract kind of like the the purple skies one yeah and just being kind of like images um but i really love things that have a story and um i you know like the purple skies one has a story i just don't know what it is because you keep it as <laughs> tightly, uh, <laughs> tightly concealed secret so i you know i'm just a cog in that wheel um but this one like i think inevitably if i start coming up with something up a story will eventually jump out at me and that's what happened with this one night the little um the little wheelie robot was originally just going to be like one scene and then i was like no you're all of a sudden it was like no i'm the central character make a story about me Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i liked that direction a lot the original when i made the song i did all the guitar riffs like it's actually kind of funny i i forgot that i had filmed myself doing it oh yeah uh yeah, I totally spaced it because I do everything super late at night and I'm just like in a zombie mode and just yeah. like s- s- turning off my brain and seeing what comes out pretty much. And and so I totally forgot that I had filmed myself. I, I was actually going through and clearing space off my phone. I was like, what's this? <laughs> like, oh, it's when I played and it's all the the whole guitar part is just I just did it all right there. I couldn't I didn't even remember that I did that one in one take. Oh and yeah! Wow, I I assume there's all kinds of layering and stuff. Yeah, it's just it's all in one take. the the layers The layered sounds comes from the fact that I was running the Maris Auto bit in stereo, mm. and so uh, I'm running that out to two different amps. And then I took and I do remember this. I don't remember the whole process, but I do remember I took one of them and offset it by like I think a quarter quarter note maybe. Hmm. I have to go back in and look. And that's where yeah. that back and then they're hard pans. So that's where that back and forth thing comes from. And that's when I thought, and this sounds like robots having an argument. And I yeah. even put it out to, I put it out before anybody else heard it to 
the Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. I was like, this sounds like two robots having an argument to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me what you think. And yeah, most people agreed. But you took <laughs> yeah. it in a different direction, which mm-hmm. I enjoyed even more, honestly. Cool. I mean, I think that's one of the fun things about collaborating, too, is just um, you just get to like it was fun for me because like even once I finish the animation for my my videos, like I start the music after the animation is done. Um, Oh, interesting. And whereas this I get to work with the music. So it's kind of a, a reverse from my usual process. And then I'd seen your your mention about the robots fighting and obviously it has that feel like when I first heard it I was getting a little bit of like Terminator soundtrack vibes in there there's a little bit of that like and stuff like that and um but then with all this clanginess and kind of like you know some of the angrier nine inch nails industrial stuff and uh and it got me you know just started to create this atmosphere and mm-hmm. uh and like I said it's just I just started working on it without any clear direction uh, and, uh, and then it, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know nobody else does actually. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out the timing on this cause I want to, I want to drop it soon, mm-hmm. but I, I've made a promise to people for years that I'm going to do more gear YouTube stuff. And so I've only done one video mm-hmm. in between the last one and this new one where okay. I've actually talked about gear stuff. And so I'm like, I should probably do like at least one or two more videos that mm. are, you know, on the subject, the general subject matter of the channel before I yeah. hit them with another music video. So we'll see. But then again, this podcast is going to come out pretty soon and people will be like wanting to see it, I'm assuming. So. <laughs> well, maybe uh, you could uh, put out the making of video. Oh, yeah. Well, that one's just, it's literally just me sitting there strumming half asleep but maybe you just, you maybe just described so. uh, you know three quarters of what happens on instagram and everywhere else <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah it's uh, but yeah it's 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 a good time it's fun i love this the, doing these collaborations though mm. this is this is a lot of fun i i want to do some i want to do more musically i've got a lot of feelers out with a lot of different people and mm-hmm. so far nothing's quite materialized yet but i'm excited for yeah what 2022 might hold in in that in that regard all right well keep me in the loop you know all right i'm game for things it was lucky um it was one of those things where um you just caught me in a window uh between the the last video and getting started on the next couple of uh i'll probably be working on two at the same time coming up because there's a little bit of a schedule yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah which is cool yeah i'm Mm -hmm. I'm helping with um it's it'll be my first um unreleased pedal um that i i can't really talk about more than that of co- but i'm very of course excited to, <laughs> I, i'm so excited to, i'm just excited anybody you know trust me with an unreleased pedal and you know again it's like that thing where I'm like it's i released the first one last february so it's coming up on a year and i you know the first one is like a skull jumping along that flies off into space and, and then crashes down and turns into a flower. Like I, when I put it out, I was like, this is either going to just be, you know, a drop of water in the ocean that nobody's ever going to care about, except maybe, you know, Sean, because um, mm-hmm. his pedals in it. Um, uh, Sean from Lollygagger. Yeah. Or, Which um, he's who hooked us up. So thanks, Sean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the original, mm-hmm. the original, uh, 
matchmaker doesn't sound quite right, but you know, <laughs> facilitator. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't want to get too personal. I saw your thing with Grant, and it was all it started to get into f- foot tasting or something. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't want to get a reputation. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I've developed a reputation for a lot worse things, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah, anyway, you know, like I put it out, and I was like, I had no idea because there's sometimes this thing where you're like, well, I don't know. I've never seen anyone doing this exactly in the demo world, but like maybe there's a mm-hmm. reason for that. Like maybe nobody wants it. So, you know, there's always a, a bit of a leap of faith when you try anything new, I guess. You know, more and more what I find to be a, a reoccurring experience in, in well, in my general work and just in, in content, mm-hmm. sometimes the reason no one's done it is literally like no one's just because no one's done it yet. And you just have to throw it at the wall and see what sticks. There's yeah. all kinds of things. You know, I talk about this all the time on the podcast, but I talk to Scott Markart from uh, Stringjoy like every day. Mm-hmm. And we are always brainstorming different ideas. And we're always like, why has nobody done that before? I don't know. And it sometimes is literally just because nobody's done it before. Yeah. And and it se- some of it seems so simple that it's amazing that nobody's thought. That I'm like, I'm not a genius, you know. <laughs> but I think I think of the band uh, The Killers when The Killers came out. I was like, mm-hmm. how in the world was there not a band called The Killers before The Killers? Yeah. No, that's <laughs> that's really crazy. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So sometimes you just get you get lucky and you think of it before at least before anybody else put anything out, you know? Yeah. Well, that's it. It's um, you know, it's it's right right place, right time you know, syndrome. Embrace and, it. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just go for it. And then if somebody comes out and tells you you got to change the name of your band, you do something else. But yeah. naming, naming bands is the worst. <laughs> I don't know if, if naming bands or musical instrument companies and or products is worse. Yeah. It, well, it, probably it, naming. I bet naming kids is tough too, but you know, naming. <laughs> naming kids is easier because no one's going to sue you over your child's name. <laughs> So I mean, maybe the kid, I, Brom was a rough one to grow up with. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought I think of that. I think of Brom Bones from Sleepy Hollow, and he's a big interesting. Tough guy. That's a very mm-hmm. rare, uh, rare pickup. That's what my grandpa always used to call me. Um, really? Yeah, he always called me Brom Bones. Um, yeah, it's um the my name. I was named after officially Brom Bones was a part influence, but the the official name was from Brom Stoker, who wrote Dracula. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out his full name is Abraham, so his name very well may have been Bram Stoker, uh, and oh. you know, it could have just been a misunderstanding. But he's also he's Irish, so maybe it was something in between. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, tell me, well, tell me about your story. Let's since we're starting with your kid with your name, mm-hmm. like I. Uh, so this is the first time we spoke, and I fully expected you to come on and be speaking with a British accent. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah. And, no. and I was like, I was like, Brom Johnson, that sounds like a British fellow. <laughs> oh, no, no, doesn't, doesn't seem to be the case. So well, let's get into it. <laughs> as a very slight tangent, I did once convince a colleague with the help of a friend that my full name was Brom Tholomew. Uh, <laughs> for, and we convinced him this for three years. And the day he left, his last day at the company, we finally sat him down and said, uh, hey, by the way, Bromtholomew, not only is it not my name, it's not anybody's name. It doesn't exist. And he was uh, suitably <laughs> irritated with us. <laughs> but in, it was all in good fun. But I, I love you it. Know, 
you just have to when you lie about something completely pointless you just have to have a good poker face i was like i was all i was like you want to see my birth certificate i'll bring it in and mm-hmm. uh yeah he, he bought it so shout out to yep. kevin if he's listening um, this is a this is another slight tangent but a friend of mine jack here in uh in portland he makes mr black pedals he was telling oh, yeah. me a story where his friends well they may have been involved in some you know altering substances uh, which doesn't which doesn't help may or may not allegedly right, right. coffee uh, yes coffee uh-huh mm-hmm. good coffee <laughs> yeah uh, and Strong. this is when they were teenagers he mm. i hope he's not gonna get mad at me for sharing this i don't think so he's pretty <laughs> open uh his friends convinced him momentarily uh that like he, not only could he not hear anymore but that he was also going crazy okay because uh, they they looked at him and like they'd just been hanging out for a little bit and they started just mouthing the words to him um. so and he was like, guys, I can't hear you. What are you, what are you guys saying? And they would, they would, you know, act real frantic yeah. and like just not, they were just mouthing the words. And he's like, but guys, I can hear the music. Mm. Like I hear music playing. I know you guys are messing with me. And then they held up a sign. They're like, there's no music playing. It's all in your head. And he's like, oh no, what's going on? And then, uh, it didn't, it didn't but, last very long because yeah. somebody started laughing and then, you know. Yeah. Well, also you didn't want to shatter his psyche completely. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. You know, it's very tempting. I generally, I'm not much of a prankster because I'm, I'm just not very good at it. Um, I grew up in New Hampshire, which will be the um, part of the segue. Um, I was raised to be very, you know, I was a very quiet kid and I was very polite. So it's, um, it took me some time to develop any kind of like nefarious skills. But um, <laughs> there was one guy I used to work with at a different uh, company. Uh, I worked at a hotel in New York, and. Um, he was just this chronic liar and he lied about all kinds of weird stuff just all the time. Mm-hmm. And so one day my buddy and I, we were all working together on something and we decided to get him back and we took a photo together. And then I went and photoshopped it and put like a very faint ghostly apparition uh, in the photo with us. And then we just put it all in a folder and we <laughs> we got together on Thanksgiving at my buddy's house. And and my buddy's like, oh, hey, by the way, if you want to look through those photos, they're on my laptop. And he starts flipping through the photos and then all of a sudden he just freezes and he's like, what is that? And we're like, whoa, what is it? I don't see it. And he's like that right over my shoulder. And um, yeah. And so he was convinced he was haunted for quite some time <laughs> that's good that's good yeah. he deserves it if he's gonna lie about everything what? he deserves yeah. it that's why. that was it that's how i justified it too i'm glad that you're uh feeding into my my denial or whatever uh, oh no <laughs> I, I i am fully supportive of this prank this is there <laughs> okay well oh. we can't do we can't do that one right now because it will take literally the rest of the podcast so we'll save this story for for patreon because uh-huh. i don't think i've ever told this story publicly but it Ooh. it was a massive prank cliffhanger um, yeah, I don't think I've ever told it publicly. Maybe I have, but I don't think so because it's Ooh. very long. Well, it would take too long, and we need to get into your stuff. So, cool. All yeah. right. Uh, bullet points. I was born in New Hampshire um, mm-hmm. in a very small town in the woods. I had lots of animals. Uh, we had a pet raccoon for a while. It was very uh, scenic and rustic. Had a river in the backyard. It was very idyllic. Um, got to be a teenager and, of course, hated that. Um, <laughs> this is too nice. Yeah. The, what is all this beauty and peace? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I um, it was a bit windy. I originally I went away to an art school in northern Michigan called Interlochen Arts Academy, which this will tie later into the if we talk about Sean. 
um, okay. because that school is like 20, 30 minutes from where he lives. Um, and then I moved to Chicago for a little bit. And then I moved to New York City, where I lived for quite a long time, um, right up until I left um, for London. We've been in London for since 2017. So I was in uh, New York City for quite a long time, just doing kind of whatever. I went there with no plan, no connections. Uh, I had worked on a farm to save up money, picking vegetables and digging in the dirt and stuff. So I had very little money. <laughs> and, uh, of course. Yeah. And the second I got to New York, it started going away. So um, I started working in restaurants and hotels. And then I got into a wine industry job for quite some time. And I worked there doing international logistics and, uh, and uh, brand management. So I, uh, I spent 10 years working with wine and learning about wine and all that stuff. So it was super fun. And then, um, and then I got tired of that too and being in New York where you could literally do anything you want all the time. And so I was like, let me go somewhere a little bit more reserved. Came over to London and um, yeah. Is that been... that much more reserved than New York? I don't know. <laughs> no, I've been to not... both places. I'm not sure that, that it is. Only in the ways that are really annoying. You know, like in New York, <laughs> in New York if you want to like, get pizza, you're just like, oh, hey, it's whatever o'clock, let me order some pizza. And it comes and it's awesome and it's big. Mm -hmm. And here, you know, it's like, oh, terribly sorry, it's a bank holiday and uh, you, you you shan't have any pizza this evening. That's you right. know, and the like, the customer service here is so frustrating. It's so much like, oh yeah, oh, oh yes, well, terribly sorry, it's nothing we can do. And that's it, you know, and I, especially in New York, you get that kind of like, if you're the squeaky wheel, like things usually work out. But anyway, no, it's been really lovely. Like the music scene over here has been awesome. Um, it's a lot more like reliable and concentrated than it was in New York, where you mm -hmm. kind of hit or miss when you went out uh, to see music. And um, yeah, it's it's been, we came over here specifically to like, it was that decision between either going career in the wine industry or coming over here and taking a risk. Uh, and do focusing more on music. So we came over, started Tiger Mimic, um, found two uh, two English guys uh, to make music with uh, Ben and George, who play uh, drums and bass for us. And um, and we just went to the studio, made an EP, and we're just like, okay, let's see what happens. Let's let's mm -hmm. start figuring this place out. And yep. uh, yeah, it's been really lovely. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of, you know, it's 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 tough. Like. Especially, I mean, the timing, like, <laughs> the, like getting over there, like, all right, cool, let's do the music. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I guess we can record stuff, but yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was, you know, though it, it was surprisingly, um, I wouldn't say it's easy because it took tons of research and stuff, but like once I left the nine to five office job, and like you know, I had a, a little bit of savings so we could like really focus on it. And like, I just did, I, I'm like a very methodical person. So I like make spreadsheets and cross-reference and learn every mm -hmm. person who's in every blog and who's doing, who's promoting shows and this and that, and just started putting feelers out. And I think that's one of the things about like, one of the things I found in life is like, you, sometimes, you know, like it's funny when we were looking for producers, I was like, yeah, let's ask everyone. And I was like, you know, who'd be fun to work with? Uh, Tony Visconti. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'll sure, tell you. I mean, yes, it would. It would. I'd, yeah. I tell you what, though, I wrote to his manager and his manager <laughs> was like, oh, yeah, Tony would be up for it. Here's what it would cost. 
And we were like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> it was, you know, <laughs> obviously way out of our budget. <laughs> right. But, but hey, at least but, if it's there and now you know. And I think like, that's 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 my my lesson to or my message to everyone. Uh, just do it. What's the worst that can happen is somebody will say no. <laughs> right. It's it's been the same with this the pedal thing because I I've reached out to some people. Some people reach out to me, but um, you know, you never know until you ask. And like mm-hmm. nobody's you know gotten angry at me. <laughs> some people right. said no. Some people said yes. It's been you know it's been pretty cool. It's uh, yeah, that's the thing, you know, I, I wasn't so sure when I started this, like what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, the big, I've said, told this story before, but like the big eye opener for me was when I was literally driving to work mm-hmm. and I had Googled Keely Electronics phone number. I was like, I wonder if I can get Rob on the podcast. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Like it's Robert Keeley. Yeah. You know? Next thing I know. Uh, I'm like, I'm calling them while I'm driving to work. And yeah, this is Keely, Keely Electronics. So I was like, yeah, hi, is Rob available? <laughs> yeah, just a second. <laughs> All of a sudden he's on the, hey, yeah. this is Rob, what's going on? I'm like, uh, well, I'm a guy with the podcast where I interview guitar people about stuff. Uh, you want to come on? <laughs> yeah, sure. When, when, when you want to do it? <laughs> uh, have, uh, awesome. I'm free this. I'm free this evening, or like the next evening. I think it was that evening. It's like, wow. I, I was like, I'm free this evening at this time. Yeah, I can do it. Show, tell, yeah. tell me how to do it. And then <laughs> fast forward to that end of that evening, and I'm talking to Robert Keeley about his drug addiction that I had no idea <laughs> was even a, an issue. And wow. I'm going, oh, is this what this can be? Like, this is what yeah. this is. And all and, and all you have to do is take that step and ask and they're either not going to respond or they'll say no thanks yeah and then it's like or, well okay then you're or, in the exact same spot that you were in so what's it hurt you yeah know? it doesn't or hurt they'll you. say yes and they'll tell yeah. you an awesome story which is like so i i'm always surprised at how you know accessible the world really is like obviously you it's not like you're gonna drop a note on facebook and maybe get leonardo DiCaprio to come talk to you but like you know but maybe the, the people like. that are, well, yeah, even that, maybe, who knows, you know? But the the people that are, like, still, you know, I feel like that's, like, people who exist in outer space. And then most people are just here down on Earth, and they're, like, happy to talk to people and share their story, like. Well, it's, I mean, sometimes it's, I mean, Leo's, Leo is definitely in the, in the upper echelon of, like trying to contact people. He's one of the most famous people on the planet. Yeah. But but even then, there's people like one evening I was just on Instagram and I was like, Neil Schoen from Journey follows me. <laughs> I was like, wonder if he reads his DMs. Let me slide <laughs> into there real quick. Next thing I know, he's like, oh, hey, yeah, I, I would do it sometime. I can't do it right now, but I'm getting ready to, you know, go on yeah. tour and do all this stuff. But he's like, Definitely hit me up when it looks like I'm not when I'm home and I'm less busy. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like I just <laughs> I looked over at my wife, I was like, I'm messaging with Neil from Journey right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> like this is this didn't used to be possible, even. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it wasn't even an option. So it's it's amazing that that I mean, you know, it's not like he's Leonardo DiCaprio, but he's not exactly I mean, that's not pretty, known. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty <laughs> so. up there. You know, it's like, 
it, it's such a funny world, you know, like there was one day the biggest celebrity, like really nonchalant celebrity encounter I had was just this random thing. It was in the wine industry and um, uh, Maynard from Tool has a winery, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So I was working at this wine company and this guy turns around and goes, oh, hey, um, my buddy um, is having a meeting tonight uh, with Maynard from this band. Nobody knew the band or anything. He's like this some band tool or something. Uh, does anybody want to go talk to him about his winery? And like I was still pretty junior at that time. So I'm like holding my breath and waiting to see if anybody else speaks up. And and everybody's kind of like, eh, and I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And and so I went down there and just like chatted with him for an hour about his winery and stuff. And it was so cool. He was so mm -hmm. into it. And um, his his wines were great. He's this wine who's called Caduceus. And um, he was all excited. He had like just gotten his forklift operator's license. You know, yeah. it, was, it, it was like, <laughs> yeah, but it was like a real like, you know, there was no like showboating. There was none of that stuff. And I even I managed to make it through the whole conversation without doing any uh, fanboy stuff until the very last minute. And then at the end, I was like, um, my my first concert was Nine Inch Nails and A Perfect Circle. And uh, it was amazing. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> and, and even that he was just like, oh, thank you. You hey, you remember that time? <laughs> you remember exactly. that time? You were you were in a perfect circle. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really cool. So I mean, you you, you want to be um, you don't want to elevate anybody because at the end of the day, everybody is just people, yeah. you know. And it and you know, it's it's always cool to get to meet people whose work you respect and mm -hmm. has had a big impact on you. And I've been really fortunate to get to do that through this podcast. Yeah. But what you realize more and more, the more it happens, it's like, yeah, they're, you know, they're just people. They're yeah. just, they're just dudes. Maynard's five, seven, like me, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> the stars are just like us. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they really are at the yeah. end of the day that they're, that's why it's like, they're scrolling through Instagram when they're, you know, waiting in line. Like they're doing yeah. the, they do all the same things. They're not yeah. any different. Uh, they just, uh, have had different circumstances and put in different levels of work to get to where they are. And, you know, yeah. sometimes the stars align. It's yeah. just how, how it works. And some of them are, you know, just really, really lucky people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who you can't explain too. their success, but, you know, more power to them. Uh, who wouldn't take that opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Like, you, you, you can be a hater or you can go like, well, hopefully it happens to me one day. Yeah. You know? Like, well, you know what? I'm like, I'm very particular about what kind of music I like and what kind of books I like to read and stuff. And if somebody asks my my opinion, I could be very blunt about things, but it's like, it's also, it's my opinion. Like, I think there's merit to be found in anything that makes people happy. Like, however, you know, much I hear a song and I go, oh God, this is just awful dreck. It makes mm -hmm. me nauseous. It makes me physically ill to hear it. But I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> it also makes millions and millions of people super happy. So like, what am I going to do? It, it's, it makes people happier than my complaining about it. So I try not to complain about it. I, I definitely complain about things. Uh, it's a skill of mine. Yeah. But I do well, I also try. have... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do also have to recognize, though, like sometimes... I'm out here screaming into a microphone running through a distortion pedal. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's not any cooler. That's also equally silly. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe I like how that sounds, but 
millions and millions of people do not like how that sounds. So yeah, you know, I have to I have to, to realize that my tastes I are my tastes, and they might be uh, a little bit on the abrasive side for <laughs> mass consumption. To yeah. put it nicely, but you know, the whole world if the whole world could take the perspective and go, well, this is my opinion. Not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone's going to agree. And that's okay. It would be so much less stressful, you know? It's mm-hmm. just like everybody... I, I don't understand when people go, well, this is my opinion. And so if you disagree with it, we have to fight because you're wrong. Or, you know, by you saying something different, it's implying that I'm wrong, even if you didn't say that. And uh, it just... It gets so heated so fast. And I, I know there's a lot to be heated and, and angry about in the world, um, it feels like particularly in the last few years and we're all kind of like cabin fevered out and all that stuff. But it's just like have, if everyone could just have a little perspective, you know, we're all one drop in the bucket of the universe and like, you know, it's okay to like different things and to believe different things and, and whatever. (laughs) And it's, it's what makes it interesting, honestly, Mm -hmm. like, Obviously, there are, uh, you know, things that people can fall into that can <clears throat> can be hazardous, mm-hmm. and you you want to avoid that and try to caution yeah. those you care about against that when you yeah. see it happening. But in general, just having a different opinion is fine. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, I'm not talking about like you know, getting into heroin or joining a hurt, you know, like a cult that's going to abduct you and turn you into a, you know. Uh, anything you know whatever a like robot something that's that, plugged into the wall going back and forth forever <laughs> <laughs> oh wait mm. oh interesting good yeah. idea um yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I my i my wife made a crack about it when i showed her uh the video because she she's like she's like oh i bet this is gonna end really happily and I, <laughs> and at first i was like why does she think that it's so depressing and then i was like oh wait she's being sarcastic because all my videos are kind of grim <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um, well it didn't help when i was like uh with the first video and i was like well first of all he's got a body in the trunk so <laughs> helped me <there's> that yeah <laughs> like it's not gonna very few stories that start with body and trunk end in a pleasant manner. I would, yeah. I would argue, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess probably weekend at Bernie's is the closest to. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you ever end up in the trunk, but it's the most light that's been made of a dead body that I can name. I think you're right about that. I can't think of it getting any better than <laughs> for, that. For better or for worse, <laughs> maybe Tucker um, and Dale versus Evil. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, it's great. It's, yeah. This there's some lighthearted dead body humor in in that one. I'd yeah, say. I was very pleasantly surprised with that film. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a yeah. very good one. Uh, from the title to the kind of like um, seemingly glaringly like redneck stereotype characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like initially I was like, there's no way this is going to be good. Uh, and then I thought that they kind of balanced it all out nicely. They did. And, and they made did. me laugh and taught me a lesson in the end. That's right. What more do you really need from a film? <laughs> I don't know if there was a lesson. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was. Watch out for the wood chipper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I learned that in Fargo, but that's, you know, it's always good to have a refresher. Well, in Fargo, they didn't have any control over it. Mm, you know, they true. just ended up in the wood chipper. Uh, yeah. In this one, well, we won't spoiler it. Go yeah. watch the movie. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and bloody. Yes. And fun. And bloody. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, like, uh, uh, <laughs> 
I don't remember the exact phrase I just said, but like dead body humor. That's like the name of the, my next record, I think. It'll be a good <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. But uh, well, tell us about the band a little bit. Like, yeah. What are, what are you guys shooting for? What's your rig look like? All that jazz. Mm -hmm. Let's go through that whole thing. Cool. Um, well, so we it's it sort of started in New York with uh, so my wife is in the band and we um, we trade off on singing duties and I play guitar and she plays a little bit of synth in there. Um, but it initially started in New York and it was just us and an acoustic uh, guitar for the most part. We never did mm -hmm. a full band uh, performance. We had some of the same songs, but um, a different band name. We were called the Neverbirds back then. And um, also a came, good name. That's a good name. It was all right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a it was a little Peter Pan reference, but ah, um, gotcha. Yeah, it just didn't feel. It felt a little um. I don't know, whimsical, <laughs> for what the music okay. eventually became. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so we came over to London, and um, we met our bass player through a friend of a friend, and we used um. A session drummer for the first recording because we didn't meet uh, George, who was our current drummer, until a few months later. And we had all these songs that were like kind of roughly demoed out. I'd done them on Pro Tools, but it was still kind of like based around an acoustic guitar and two voices. So we made this first EP and kind of were like figuring out what we were going to be in the studio. And it started to, we started to see these like kind of common trends, which were these like either, um, well, okay. So it also ties into when I really started getting into effects pedals because before leaving New York, I was a pretty straight ahead. I had a Tube Screamer, Wah Wah pedal. I had a Voodoo Labs Tremolo. I had a Carbon Copy MXR. Mm -hmm. um, so pretty like traditional setup. I had a Marshall amp. Um, I had an old Silvertone amp at the time. I had a Mesa Boogie at the time. And I kind of cleaned house. I got rid of all those because they were all huge. Um, and and um, I trimmed way back on guitars because I just accumulated all kinds of stuff. And um, I picked up two pedals from Earthquaker. I picked up a Bit Commander and a Pitch Bay. Mm -hmm. And I literally picked them up at the point where we they arrived and I didn't have two cables to be able to plug it into my amp properly. Oh, wow. So I mm -hmm. had I had one that was like a patch cable um, and then I had like one proper one. So I had to like plug it in, you know, six inches from my amp um, and I didn't have a power supply or batteries for it. And I can't remember how I worked around it. I, I either dug one out from somewhere or borrowed one or something. But anyway, plugged it in to whatever I had left. And the the pitch bay at first i wasn't sure what i was going to do with because i always loved those kind of like big harmonized guitar solos and things like that but the big commander all of a sudden i was like oh holy crap like going from like mm -hmm. a tube screamer you know to this wall of fuzz and octaves and stuff so was, good yeah, yeah it like it broke me man i all of a sudden i was like effects pedals I need to know more. I need to know everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, and when we came over here, like I got into the studio and I had still a pretty basic setup, but I had this bit commander. I had um, uh, I, the pitch bay I used on the original EP and then all the kind of like the, the, the carbon copy, I pretty much only used it as a modulation pedal because it has that mm -hmm. nice little modulation section if you max it out on the inside it's really nice <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh and, yeah uh, <laughs> and so um 
when we started working with the producer, we had these songs and he was he would sort of be like, oh, well, what if this part was a little bit louder or punchier? And he was always challenging us. And it made me learn how you could write a riff on a, you know, just a regular riff on a guitar, but then like effects pedal could then elevate that. So it's not like the effects pedal is the, is the song, but it like took the song to another exciting place. And so mm -hmm. I ended up, it's not a bit crusher, but it has bit on it. They started calling me uh, bit crusher, Brom or something in the studio. Um, right. And I just got this reputation for rambling about pedals the entire time. And it was cool. The studio we recorded, it had like some old love tones. It had a clone nice. uh, KTR and a few um, other oddballs that I'd never really gotten my hands on before. So we went in and these songs started to take on this kind of like strangeness that was mm -hmm. like wasn't as evident when it was just acoustic and then we started to find that like we we loved kind of like mashing together styles and and having kind of like really significant dynamic changes and all this stuff and so i think we came out of the studio with these songs that we were pretty happy with but it also gave us like a direction to write in and yeah. so we started more and more like once i realized it just kind of opened up doors for me. And I like having a, a band behind you that you know you can trust. It makes you feel like more adventurous and stuff. So I started doing these like, you know, bigger changes and, and kind of like more prominent guitar stuff. I, I think like initially as a guitarist, I always worried about stepping on people's toes. And so I tried to be very restrained about it. And, um, and now I'm like, I, I think it's good to have that, but also to be able to jump out and like make a bunch of noise when you need to. Right. Um, because then I think later that year, I picked up the Data Corrupter from Earthquaker. Um, and that's about as loud and noisy as you can ask for, really. And, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and that's it. And just so the band, uh, we're called Tiger Mimic, if I didn't say. And we've just evolved into this kind of like, we don't, I wouldn't know how to describe our music, but we know it when we hear it. Like when we're writing a song, like we can tell if it's going to work for us or not, because I, I write songs all the time and sometimes I'll bring it to the band and it just doesn't quite click together. Um, but when it does, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's it. And so we've got all these different genres kind of mixed together in there. And to the point where like we started, we made a chart out of all the different genres we've been described as in reviews. Um, because it's just funny, you know, and it starts off with like indie or rock or something. And then it's like it branches off and they'll be like, oh, and you're punk or ska or disco or you know, one, <laughs> there was one whole section that was like, oh, Tarantino soundtrack. One said Moulin Rouge somehow. Um, hmm. And uh, and then we got, you know, like rock opera and all this stuff. And, you know, we don't our songs aren't like long, but they go a lot of like the newest one we put out is called Walking to the Moon. And it's it's under three minutes long, but it has so many like changes and jumps and and things going on and like I don't know it's just it's kind of like whatever excites us, mm -hmm. it, and there's no rhyme or reason to it you know like that song started out on a bass I just uh, started writing a bass riff here, and then uh, I came up with some words for that and then Jess uh, my wife did the chorus and came up with that and then it has this crazy middle section and it's kind of all i don't know I, I find with me i can't tell when i can't tell when something 
I'll know when something's finished when I can't see what's missing. But like until I can't, like, until that point, like I can't tell what's missing. So there's a lot of like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks in my writing process. If yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> oh, I I understand. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I've got I've got I don't even know how many projects saved mm. where I'm like, there might be something there. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then I'll come back to it sometime and like, oh yeah. Well, it's like with some of these collabs, there's been times where people have asked, like, where do you want to start? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh here, here's this thing that I did while I was half asleep. See if you think you can do anything with it. And you know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's you never know. I you gotta record everything. It, since you have since we now have the ability to do so, yeah. most of us, mm-hmm. I think record every idea you get. I mean, even if you're just humming it into your phone, whatever. Like yeah. you never know what you might be able to draw out of it later. I think that's really important. But, so I, I like that method. As a as a counterpoint though, I was watching um did you watch that McCartney 321 thing where he talks to Rick Rubin? I did not. I just finished oh. that Get Back series, so I'm a little bit yeah. full of Beatles at the moment, but I will I, I will I, watch that. What I'll that. say is um, I also watched the Get Back thing. Um, I would say it was very poignantly boring. Um, I really, I enjoyed it, but I, you know, like I loved the Beatles. My first record I was obsessed with was Magical Mystery Tour. I, yeah, I pretty much watch anything that they do, but man, it just goes on and on. And it's like, <laughs> anyway, it's really wonderful. Like, it's so cool, but it's exactly like watching any band ever in the studio. Except I think that's why I liked it so much. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is, I wouldn't probably have sat through that for anybody else, but because it was yeah. the Beatles, I kept going like, telling my wife, I'm like, see, we all do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not just me. Yeah. We all do that. Look how bored Ringo is. <laughs> that's, I've He's been bored. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I farted. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's funny. bands in the studio. That's it, what we do. It reminds me of, um, in the, I think it was the 90s, Weird Al had a, an MTV special where he played all of his music videos and then the original video that it was based on. And okay. in between, he said zany stuff. And it was around the time the Beatles anthology came out. And in between the videos, uh, he goes, oh, here, this is my favorite track. Oh, it's called Paul Brushes His Teeth. And it's just... and that's it but like honestly i I loved the beatles anthology for that reason like just listening to them giggle their whole way through a track is like i don't know it it makes it feel so human for people who have been elevated to such a a status a hundred percent hundred percent but sorry Um, you were talking about the ruben thing we got oh yeah so Mm -hmm. paul mccartney said he's talking about um how their songs are so catchy and memorable because basically Rick Rubin's got what appear to be the master tapes and they just listen to them back on a big uh, mixing board and Rick Rubin slides down like singles out certain parts and like fades in and so you hear all these different parts of uh, Beatles songs and then Wings and and Paul McCartney solo stuff and uh, and Paul just stands there and just kind of chats about it and it's awesome but Paul at one point goes yeah well I think one of the reasons a lot of our stuff was so memorable was because we had to remember it. Like we didn't have any way mm. to write it down. Mm-hmm. So like we wrote a lot more songs than this, but the stuff that stayed is the stuff we could remember. And like part of me is like, is recording everything making me, you know, useless? <laughs> In the same way that like, it's like spell check is making me, you know, worse at spelling and lazier at typing. Am I letting technology, to, you know, 
turn me into the the Wally uh, people? <laughs> well, that that's another debate. Uh, <laughs> possibly, you might be. But that that is. I was, I was that hoping is it true. was a no. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I'm I'm doing my best to combat that, um, <laughs> but you know, I don't know if it's working or not. But yeah, same. <laughs> it's um, it that that is an interesting point, but I I have to say, like, in in their case, mm-hmm. they were able to because they they I mean they I'm not saying that they they grew up rich or anything i don't actually know all their backgrounds yeah i'm not saying that at all and i think yeah it's kind of like they came across the board right yeah but regardless they were put into a position early on where they were able to not able to because it's a lot of work but where they played for eight hours a day yeah every single day yep all day long yeah for who knows how long i don't even remember months and months and months yeah yeah, yeah. and i just don't see 99 percent of artists being able to be in that position. They've got to eat somehow. Yeah. Uh, they may have other responsibilities. They may have other things. So, well, I'm glad that they were able to do that because yeah. they were able to crank out some of the best work of all time. Um, I think record, I, I will, I will always be thankful for <laughs> recording stuff because I, I have, you know, I've never written a McCartney level anything and probably never will. But some of my favorite things I've ever done came from me going like, oh, I have an idea. <laughs> Don't forget that for later. Yeah. And uh, and then I was able to turn it into something that I think is cool. And uh, yeah. I I just want to encourage everybody to use all the tools they have at their disposal because mm-hmm. so many people want to make stuff and so many people want to create art and create music and they just mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. And the only reason totally. is because they just don't. It's yeah. not because they can't. They just don't. Totally, and so I want people to do it because it's even if even if it's just for you or it's just for your grandma or or nobody hears it. Sometimes just the, the or at least for me, just the process of doing mm-hmm. is enough to be worth the time. That's totally. that's my no. You know, when I was whatever, um, starting whatever. out, um, I started out with bands in high school, like pretty much everyone that is in a band, and. Um, you know, for years, I got by with a Tascam 424 Porta Studio recording onto a cassette tape with mm-hmm. a pair of SM58s. I had my first guitar was a Hammer Slammer Eclipse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, and I had a Zoom, uh, whatever. I didn't have the guitar multi-effect. I had the the bass, the five, 508 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is probably why it took me so long to get into effects pedals because that thing sounded like a nightmare. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I just put all the effects on all the time. So it was like a flanging, overdriven delay, you know, horrible mess. Um, Yeah. And anyway, that that got me through for years. And I have gone back and cannibalized some of those riffs that never got used for anything publicly and used them in in Tiger Mimic. Uh, Some of the stuff... Actually, even uh, in the last Pedoscopic Sounds, uh, the very end music of the newest one that I did with Champion Lecky is a guitar part that I'd written in like 2003, um, just as a, a song back then that I just, the song wasn't really good, but I always liked that guitar part. And like, I feel like nothing, there's no reason to throw anything out. <laughs> Keep it, right. let it find its place. And that's what I mean about the like throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. Some of that is having this like pocket full of riffs and things and being like, 
oh, I wonder if we, we tossed this in here, would that work? And, mm-hmm. you know, worst case, you got some freakish Frankenstein thing and it doesn't work. But like sometimes it's like that's that riff has just been waiting for this opportunity all these years. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So I like anyway. I like that idea of a riff laying in wait. Like, yeah. oh, not yet. Not yet. Now. <laughs> <This is time. laughs> yeah. Like it has a life of its own. I love exactly. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I guess to sort of circle back around uh, my main rig for the band and for even pedoscopic sounds. I use a Stratocaster for pretty much everything. Um, I would tell you more about it, but the truth is I just grabbed it off the shelf at Manny's in New York when you could do that uh, off the rack and just grabbed one that was in an appropriate price point. So aside from being an American-made uh, Strat, that's all I can really tell you about it. It's pretty okay. pretty, bog, <laughs> pretty bog standard Strat. All um, right. Yeah. And then... Um, what I color use, is it? How about uh, that? Well, originally it was uh, kind of tobacco burst, mm-hmm. uh, but it has undergone a couple of um, unprofessional paint jobs since. So at the moment, it is uh, neon pink with a um, yellow perloid pick guard and All black, right. black pickup covers. Um, it has uh, like mailbox stickers on it that say Tiger Mimic. It has... Uh, Volume and tone knobs are shaped like stars. I got from that. Um, I think they're called Sweden knobs. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's um it's pretty garish. I like it. I, <laughs> I like it. I think I resisted getting a Strat for a long time because they're so ubiquitous. And um, my dad was a guitar player too, and his dream guitar was a Strat. And um, I, I think for some reason, I for a long time, I wanted to kind of forge my own way, and then. I was just like, oh, everyone plays a Strat. I'm not going to play a Strat. And then I played a Strat and I was like, oh, sounds amazing. Okay, screw it. <laughs> fine, <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way about Strats, but then I'm like, I, like I, mentally, I'm like, everybody plays a Strat. I'm, I'm not going to play a Strat. But then yeah. I'm like, you play less Pauls though. So like, you're yeah. not you're not some special flower. You know, when it's I, fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to blaze trails, you know? Like I'd love, there's a lot of really cool, um, you know, individual guitar builders out there uh, now and a lot of really like unique shapes and stuff and all that stuff and someday i'd love to invest in one but it's just you know but just don't always have the budget to to spring for that and then the other thing is um actually the dream is my dad carved a guitar body in the 70s that looks mm-hmm. so rad and um and he just never finished it so i've got this uh a jaguar neck from the 60s that he, uh-huh. he had saved from a Jaguar that he tore apart to use to repair his car with pieces from. And um, okay, because <laughs> nobody wanted Jaguars back then, apparently. <laughs> and, um, and so he saved the neck because he liked that and he carved his body and then just never got around to wiring it up or finishing it or anything. So, oh um, man, you yeah. gotta finish that. That'd yeah. be sick. I had dreams of doing it myself for a long time, but I think I'm because it's. If I screw it up, it's done. I'm just gonna try to team up with, uh, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing. So, yeah, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe you can hit up. I'm trying to think of who are my some of my favorite UK builders. Fidelity Guitars, maybe mm-hmm. they could probably do a good job with it. Mm-hmm. It's one that came off the top of my head. Um, I, don't <laughs> I, know. A... I don't know that many people in the UK. That's the first one I can think of. Yeah, I, I reached out to one because I saw, you know, Holy Island. Uh, yeah. Effects. Yeah. So he had some custom guitar made by 
somebody in London or I don't know the whole, I don't know if it was entirely custom or what the deal was, but um, I had reached out to him and he had said he could potentially do something with it. But And there used to be a guy who was based out of Camden named uh, Philippe de, de Breuil or something. He's a, a okay. French French guy and he makes his own guitars out of this, there's this like weird charity shop in Camden called Rock and Roll Rescue. And it's just like, there's a room in the back full of like weird old amps and equipment. And then the front is like sort of a record shop and like other random stuff, but it's it's very like crammed and beat up and Camden-y. And, Sounds uh, awesome. It's really cool. And <laughs> I found it because they um, there's a, promoter that we work with called um, Kick Out the Jams. Uh, yeah. And they put on a lot of great shows. And they used to put on shows in the little back room of this charity shop. And you can only fit about 15 people in there if you're all very, you know, if you're maybe if you're intimate, 20. <laughs> and, but it'd be really cool because you'd go back there and they just plug you into whatever they had at the time. So you just use some random little amp and play this really sweaty, fun, secret gig in the back of this charity shop. Um, I love it. And if you went further back, there was like a guitar workstation. And this guy, they would sell his guitars in the front. And he made some really, really uh, beautiful looking guitars. But I think he's since gone back to France. So, Well, that is a cool story. I <laughs> now want to visit that shop really badly. That sounds yeah. so up my alley. Come to Perhaps. town, man. I, it's been a long time. It's been a long, long time. I really, really want to go back there really cool. badly. Well, so. still here. <laughs> and yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere probably in my lifetime. It'll probably still be there in some form or fashion. <laughs> crossed, most man, you look pretty young. <laughs> <laughs> if it starts to go, give me a heads up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will. I nice. will. Um, yeah. We were going into the rest of the rig. Let's do that. Oh, yeah, real sure. Quick. Um, yeah. So um, I've got a, a Blackstar HT Club 40. Um, they, um, I'm, I'm a official, I guess, Blackstar artist. Um, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, and then, um, so Strat, Blackstar, I, I have a Gretsch guitar that I use sometimes, uh, the solid body electromatic Corvette mm -hmm. uh, that I really like. And I probably, honestly, mostly bought it for the way it looks and because it had a Bigsby. I'm a sucker yeah. for Bigsby's. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then the pedal board that I use mostly, I've got the Lollygagger Canalia. Um, Bit Commander, Pitch Bay, and Data Corruptor from Earthquaker. I tend to have a Electroharmonics Nano Pog on there. Um, I've got an Ocean Man from Professor Pedals. Do you know? Oh, I don't know. Formerly that one. Shock Rock. Uh, I I know the Shock Rock name, but I didn't know he changed. Okay. Yeah. So he's <laughs> it's it's worth checking out. He's got a. Uh, I did the the animated intro for his uh, his. Uh, YouTube series called Professor Petal's Party Time. And it's completely, <laughs> yes. completely insane. Um, <laughs> but it's it's really fun. So yeah, so he, um, he was the first person to see one of my videos and ask if he could send me something. So that was a, a really exciting milestone for me. And the pedal is just so cool. Because it's, um, it's a chorus pedal, I guess, at heart. But it's got three modes. And so the first one is a mixing of a, I don't remember how the voicing settings, but it's a, a lo-fi chorus and a more traditional chorus. The mm -hmm. middle setting is a, uh, a sub, uh, an octave down and a, another kind of chorus. And then the third setting is a vibrato and a chorus 
simultaneously, and you could blend them however you want or go all the way to one. So it's effectively six different kinds of modulation. And then it has a momentary switch called the bubble switch. And if it's on the first setting and you press it, the bubbles go down, kind of like um, similar to how the rainbow machine does that. Do, 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 mm -hmm. do. If you yep. are on the middle setting, the bubbles go up. And if you're on the third setting, the bubbles go crazy and go every which way. So awesome. Anyway, it's really rad. I cannot recommend picking that up enough. I mean, all of these are really rad, which is why they're on my board. But um, that was a really exciting one. Um, Right now, I have got the Swan Hunter from Champion Lecky uh, mm -hmm. because it's just cool as hell. Um, I've got Randy's Revenge uh, from Fairfield oh, yeah. on there um, mm -hmm. because, again, you know, I think Ring Mod was something I was a little bit. I like a, I watched a lot of videos of different Ring Mods, and just so many of them are not traditionally usable <laughs> in a musical setting. Yeah. And yeah. this one is really. Uh, like amazingly versatile um yeah those are the those are the main ones and then i've got a smattering of um do you know xander effects uh xander mm -hmm. circuitry yeah so i've got yeah. a smattering of uh pedals from uh from him right now and uh i've been getting to know those so they're really really cool yeah yeah he's been on the podcast before oh That's nice cool. oh he's yeah. so nice oh yeah he's a great dude yeah awesome dude well dude uh, we have went, I feel like we could go for hours and hours, but we have, uh, we have reached the end of the main episode and oh, we right? still have not gotten into the classic questions. Oh, but before I do that, yes, this is where I like to give you an opportunity. If you have anything you want to say to a bunch of people right now, if you want to shout out your grandma, <laughs> uh, if you want to, you know, plug anything, this is the, the floor is yours oh, right now. Cool. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I will say, um, well, thanks to <clears throat> Sean from Lollygagger, who is probably the reason I started Pedoscopic Sounds. Um, I actually won one of his pedals in the raffle for the fires that were happening in Australia. Okay, got it. And um, it was a funny thing because I'm in England. I entered a raffle in Australia. He sent me a pedal from the town that was adjacent to where I had gone to school in northern Michigan. And, <laughs> right. and we just ended up connecting over this because he was like, I, when I saw where the pedal was from, I was like, Traverse City, that's so weird. And then we just became buddies and he's been endlessly supportive of me and the band uh, and everything else. Uh, so that's been lovely. Um, and me too. Yeah. So, and, so. and he got us connected as well. So he's yeah. uh, he's been quite the uh, quite the the. You know, he's just a great friend. <laughs> really, and he I mean, has also honestly, been on the podcast before, a couple yeah. years ago. So, yeah, he's, he's awesome. Dude. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. such a nice guy. And um, yeah, thanks to that, thanks to all the builders who took a risk on me. I mean, uh, Brandon from uh, Professor Pedals and and Wooly from Champion Lecky and uh, uh, Intensive Care Audio, um, Patrick mm -hmm. from Intensive Care and uh, and. Uh, Alex uh, from Zandu sent me some stuff, which we'll be seeing in the future. And um, I know I'm forgetting somebody right now, but I wasn't prepared at all for this question. <laughs> but thank you to to everyone who's you know, and to you too for having me on. It's been um, well beyond anywhere I imagined this thing going already. You know, I'm I'm seven episodes in, and if you had told me I would have had half the support that I've had this year, I would have n never believed it. So. That's been really lovely. And uh, yeah. shout out to my wife too, because she's awesome. And she sings on all the pedoscopic sounds and tiger mimic and all that stuff. So it's, uh, she makes everything, everything I do better. 
Nice. Awesome. That is that is a good plug. I know you weren't prepared, but you did well. That, Thanks, that worked man. out. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to keep it concise because uh, as you probably learned over the last hour, it can go off the rails really quickly. That's perfect. That's what I like. I like going off the rails. Ah, That's my good. favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, first of the final questions. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite boss pedal? Hmm. It's interesting. The ones that I've had... I've only had a few. I had um, the the Octave Fuzz. I had one of the Loop Stations. I don't remember which one. And I may have had one other, but I think the one that always uh, appeals to me the most whenever I hear it, and I always kick myself for not owning one, owning one is the, um, what's the pitch shifting one where you can do the momentary thing where it would slide up. about the PS the PS3. Yeah, I, that thing sounds the so one, cool to me. Oh, it comes up on like every like, eight episodes or so and i'm always like i need it yeah the ps3 i have to get one i have to get one it's yeah. known uh i think that the time that really sealed the deal for me when i was interviewing tepe from thrice and he was like mm. yeah it's the cave-in pedal he's like we used the ps3 all over the, like you got to get a ps3 and i still yeah. haven't got a ps3 yet but gotta fix thing, that i'm such a sucker for octave pedals and i've also been like in a similar uh attraction i've been looking at the digitech whammy uh five because it's like I love all those weird shifts and dive bombs and stuff. But it's so dope. Yeah. It's so dope. <laughs> yeah. It really is. You know, I, I'm such a sucker for the little like boutique -y guys, but like there are just some pedals that just are on, you know, they've earned their place in history. Definitely. I pulled the Whammy 5 out here recently. Mm -hmm. It'd been a couple of years since I'd actually plugged it in. I usually am pretty consistent, even mm -hmm. though I do have a lot of pedals. I play them all fairly consistently. Mm -hmm. But once in a while, there's one that kind of gets, I think because it's like, oh, it's so ubiquitous. It's the whammy, right? Yeah. That you forget how wild that thing actually is. It's so good. Yeah. It's so much fun. Well, there's a band. Um, do you know Nova Twins? I don't. Uh, check them out. They're, um, they're these uh, two women. Uh, it's a three-piece. They have a drummer as well. And, um, but the, the two women uh, play bass and guitar, and they have these massive pedal boards. Um, and they don't specifically reveal which pedals they have, but I'm pretty sure there's a whammy wah in there because you hear a lot of that big pitch shifting kind of, you know, Tom Morello style stuff. And they are just, they're just badasses. We played a festival, the same festival as them a few years ago. And now they're just like blowing up over here. It's so cool. Sweet. It's, it's like punk and like grime hip hop and like all kinds of other genres mixed together. Um, it's, it's very hard to, to pin down, but it's, very cool and like we if they don't get canceled we got tickets to a show of theirs in springtime and i'm just it's like that kind of like high intensity energy show that uh i really miss about live music all right on no i twins. will check them out for sure nova twins <laughs> cool it's a good name too you got a lot of good names flowing out for for bands on and groups on this episode That's hey. nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right final question mm -hmm. this is the one that gets pretty dicey yeah pretty Pretty intense, but mm. what is your favorite kind of pizza? Uh, well, it's interesting. Um, it, it's I don't know if I would say it's a specific like topping combination, but there was this one pizza place when I lived in, I used to work in Chelsea in New York City, and there was this not at all famous, just regular pizza place called Mafe. And um, it closed after the i think there, there was a hurricane or something and its basement flooded or something and they just didn't reopen mm. 
And I would go in there and they had this bordering on abomination of a slice. I mean, it was so <laughs> thick, but it wasn't like Chicago pizza. And it was fried eggplant, regular, you know, mozzarella, whatever, and sauce, and then huge globs of ricotta. And man, it was so good. <laughs> I think about that pizza all the time. And I continued working in that area like several years past the day it closed. And there was not a day where I was like, man, I wish Mafe was still here. Yeah. And, walking by it, looking at it. Oh, man. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's more than it was like a, a truly great piece of pizza, let's say. It was just so satisfying. Yeah. And I love specific. Yeah. And I miss that mm. about New York where you could go and be like, okay, here's my three bucks. Give me a meal <laughs> that I could pick up and <laughs> shove into my face. <laughs> yes. While so, I walk to wherever I'm going. Yeah. Yes. That was, mm -hmm. it was great. Every blue moon, like if I was super hungover, I could do two slices, but it was always filled with regret after. <laughs> As most of those meals are. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's just as I think, I think that's comes with the territory yeah <laughs> exactly when you said uh grimaldi's right one of the Love other grimaldi's yeah oh yes because i heard your thing with grant the other day yeah mm -hmm. that's the thing that some of those classic new york ones were so good too but they're all different there was one in yonkers of all places just called john's pizza and my mm -hmm. boss my boss would occasionally do things because he had to prove something to us um, on occasion in a, in a nice way. He would just close the office and take us places. Like he would take us out to see movies. He loved Charlie Chaplin. And one day he's like, you know what? We're closing the office. We're going to Yonkers. Come on. And you're like, okay. <laughs> clo it closes the office for like three or four hours so we can, you know, all go up to this place. And the, the difference was that they put the sauce on top of the cheese so that the crust mm -hmm. stayed very crispy. And it was really, really good. And uh, I loved that about New York, how everybody had strong opinions about things that were only marginally different, like like, <laughs> like bagels. I had so many of the best bagels, big air quotes there. And I was like, yeah, OK, whatever. They're all good. <laughs> right. And I just I mean, but the passion that people have about their favorites in New York, I think, is um, one of the things I, I miss about that place. New Yorkers, you hear the phrase like only in New York so much in New York, even though everything that happens in New York happens everywhere. But they're so passionate about this belief in New York. It's a very, um, you, you end up feeling like you're part of something in a very different way. And because it's such a condensed city, like London is very sprawling. Yeah. Yeah. New York was very, very interesting that way. It took me a while to miss it because I kind of burnt out, but. Well, I, I've been there uh, twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, for for roughly I think a week week and a half both times, and I really loved it. Yeah, I was also really glad to leave. <laughs> yeah, um, it's one of those things. I'm like I'm not tough enough for this city. Yeah, like this West Coast boy does not <laughs> does not keep up with the. Well, that's not actually true. I love how fast everybody walks over yeah. there because over here, but people walk too slow, yeah, and I'm constantly. Horrible. Me and my wife are constantly just like. Going around people like, come on, we're trying to get somewhere. Yeah. And so in New York, we fit in really good with that, like move, move, move pace. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. But the overall, like, there's just a, there's a, it's like a pressure cooker. Yeah. Of a city. Like you constantly, you walk out the door and you caught, I feel like you got to be constantly on, like ready to go. Yeah. Like red, like ready to fight and not, not necessarily physically fight, but yeah. like maybe, <laughs> you know, yeah. You say that, um, but 
it was like I lived there for 14 years and mm-hmm. I never I witnessed some very violent things and I heard some things that were very shockingly violent that happened within you know a couple blocks of my house or my apartment that made me uncomfortable right but I, but I never saw any of it and um and you're right though there's that intensity and it does feel like people are ready to fight but the funny thing about New York is like there's like a gooey core to all of this fighting where like people are actually really <laughs> nice and helpful. Like if you ask directions or, you know, like there's plenty of people that blow by you. There's millions of people in the city. But like if you stop and ask for directions or you start a conversation with somebody or whatever, like it's a surprisingly open city because yeah. I, I moved there from New Hampshire and I had been there once on a school trip. So we went to Times Square. We went to Ellis Island. Like I didn't go to New York, you know, we went to Broadway and um so when I moved there, I believed that if you went above 100th Street, it was going to turn into the Warriors. Um, okay. <laughs> because, you know, because everyone's like, oh, be careful if you go up north, it's dangerous and this and that. And like, you know, it's a city. There's a lot of people. You got to be smart. You got to be safe. But like, I was really, you know, I met so many good people there. And like there's too many people for everyone to be good but like i felt like the the prevailing feeling i had for all my time in new york that was that you know people people's hearts were in the right place and mm-hmm. like like for instance london just feels a lot more dangerous in a, yeah in a weird yeah in like a casually dangerous way which is funny because like 23rd street uh there was a i don't remember what year it was but the two pressure cooker bombs went off in Chelsea and mm-hmm. blew the glass out of the front door of the the office building I worked in. Like it was that close to, you know, where I worked that I, I walked, I just showed up to work one day and everything around was blown to bits. And just like, just life went on. Everybody's just still doing their thing. And like, nobody got hurt, thankfully. It was just one of those things, but it's weird. I still left feeling like, there was some kind of logic to it all, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it seems like chaos. It seems like everyone's kind of like out for themselves. But at the same time, everybody's kind of like following some like unspoken rule. There was like some kind of like dignity, like, oh, we're New Yorkers. We're all in this together. We're doing this. And, and you know, with, sure, we may seem tough, but we're here for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I no, I, I, I really love that city. I it. I didn't fully understand till we went there. We went there for the uh, the only two, unfortunately, uh, Fear of the Rift shows that mm-hmm. happened. And it would, and I, like I said, I was I was glad to leave. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, whew, like a sense of relief. Yeah. Especially the second time. The second time we actually drove out of the city because we drove to Boston. Oh yeah. And That's so nice it was drive. literally like as soon as we got out of this, I could still see the city, but yeah. as soon as we were out of it, yeah. Both my wife and I were. Where we were both like, you feel that? <laughs> like there's like a weight off my shoulders, like in a in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. And it's addicting, but at the same though. time, that's what makes it fun. Like that's what makes it interesting. You know, it's a it's not it's not like anywhere else I've I've ever been. Yeah. And um, but, I I love New York, and I have it's I'm definitely going back to New York. It's like, a funny thing about it was I. It's like, um, you know, that airplane where they teach astronauts about zero gravity, the mm-hmm. parabolic plane. It's like that. We're like, 
sometimes you like sometimes you're floating and it's awesome and then sometimes you're just getting crushed but it's always up and down and like every time i got to the point where i was like man i'm sick of this i'm gonna move i i always was gonna move to the west coast i'm going to san francisco i'm done with this i want blah 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 and then the second i'd go on vacation or something i'd be like man i miss it (laughs) you (laughs) you get addicted to it it's funny and like there was always a reason to stay no matter how many reasons you know would come up where you'd be like man i'm so fed up i'm so burnt out it's obviously not my nature to be in a city like that because i grew up in a town of a thousand people spread out over a much bigger area than manhattan and -hmm. like but yeah once you start to like if you find your groove in new york city and you find the things that excite you like you could spend your whole life there doing weird, fun things. <laughs> it's, Millions of people do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. almost nobody is born there anymore. It's funny. The company I worked at was like 30 people. And I think there were probably maybe three people who had been born in New York. That sounds like Portland. Yeah, it's, it probably. <laughs> it sounds very much like Portland. Yeah, well, see, and we keep talking about, uh, you know, we're like, oh, it'd be nice to move to Portland because I know a lot of people in the, the wine industry out there and uh, mm-hmm. and a bit in the pedal world now and stuff like that. So part of me is yeah, like, move out there and, I don't know, do something cliched like open a craft brewery or something. You guys, <laughs> you guys still need those, right? Uh, yeah, we don't have enough of those yet. Um, if you're going to do it, move out to the suburbs. There's slightly less of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, dude, uh, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Thanks and uh, uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. This was really, really a good time. Anytime, anytime. I feel like my rambles uh, avoided most of my actual biography. So <laughs> Which is always my technique of deflection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. For Brahm, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Brahm and I went on for, I think, another like hour and a half or so, maybe hour and 15, for the patrons of this podcast. And if you would like to support this show, help keep the lights on, and get a ton of additional content delivered to your ears, you can do that by supporting over on Patreon or through the Apple subscription. If you go to Patreon, it is a more direct uh, path to me, and you can actually send me messages and stuff through there. And so either way is fine, but some people like the convenience of Apple, and it's right there in the app if you should choose to do so. Either way, you're going to get the same premium content there. And I also want to reiterate, patrons will be the first folks to know about the uh, upcoming thingy that I teased in the intro. But if that is not in the cards for you, I totally understand. You can still communicate with me through the text chat, which that is in the show notes. And you can also join the newsletter and you will be the next in line to find out about the big crazy project. So those are both free and I am happy to chat with people anytime. So hit me up there and please make sure you check out Brahm's channel. It is seriously so good. So. With that, I think I will say sayonara, catch you later, later hosen, bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. 
So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com slash stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.